Hi, my name is Fritzi Horseman, and welcome to Compassion in Action. My guest today is Mark Moskowitz. Mark had a 28-year career in finance, including a time owning his own hedge fund. During a spiral in his life, Mark found himself pleading guilty to wire fraud for taking $700,000 of the fund's assets. He was sentenced to 33 months and went to Otisville Federal Prison. It was there that he learned about his trauma as a child that led to a life of low self-esteem and poor decision-making. Since his release in 2019, Mark has dedicated himself to teaching the principles he learned while incarcerated. He is a speaker, coach, CPP volunteer, and will be releasing his first book in the spring of 2022. Mark Moskowitz, welcome to Compassion in Action. I'm so excited to have you with us. You are a CPP volunteer, um, and we're so we're so honored to have you working with us. And and now we get to talk about your life um, in incarceration and in like rebirth, like a rebirth. And um, so, can we start the conversation? Maybe telling us about your upbringing, where you came from, and then what happened and how you got to prison. Sure. Thanks so much for having me on, Fritzi. It's really an honor to have met you and to met to meet Compassion Prison Project. And I love the work we're doing, and I'm happy to do as much as I can to help help the movement. Thank you. Uh, so I grew up in New Jersey, uh, a suburb of New York City, uh, to uh, a very solid family, uh, good financial structure, both parents in the house, uh, and what would look like on the outside is as quite a, an idyllic home. Uh, you know, we, we I went to a private school for high school and, and uh, we belonged to a, a country club. And like I said, on the outside, everything looked looked wonderful, looked great. Um, but on the inside, there was there was a level of dysfunction that I was not so aware of growing up. Uh, but uh, but it really was there. It was a level of emotional neglect that wasn't there. Um, you know, I felt unloved by the two people that you expect to get the most love from. Uh, and because of that, because of that trauma, it affected the decisions that I made going forward in my life because I was making decisions based on trying to please other people. Uh, I, I got into a career on Wall Street because that's what my father did. And I became a golfer because my father loved to play golf. So I wanted to spend time with him. He's my dad. And I knew that was the place to go. And so was Wall Street if I wanted to impress him or please him. So, uh, so I found myself living not really my life. I was kind of living their life all over again for them. And the fact is, these are all the lessons that I did learn during my incarceration. So I, I lived my entire life up to the age of 48, making decisions based on faulty wiring in my own brain. Um, and, uh, I got married at, I think, 28 years old and we have three children. I'm divorced now, uh, prior to my incarceration, but you know, when I married someone to try and heal the relationship with my mother, you know, and, and that really never works, you know, it's, uh, in, in theory, you know, you're tricking yourself into thinking that's the right way to go, but, but it didn't work and it wasn't a wonderful marriage, uh, for either one of us. So, uh, and I take much responsibility in that as well. I just want to interrupt for a second because one of the things about trauma um, and neglect, which is, you know, you have, you know, a, a neglect is emotional neglect is an ACE, an adverse childhood experience. Mm -hmm. Neglect is one of the worst things for a child because the child doesn't have a mirroring. He's not able to see himself reflected back. So his ideas and his, his authentic authenticity is not mirrored back by his parents. And one of the things Gabor Mate talks about, he talks about um, how we have to choose between authenticity and attachment. And your story is a clear um, example of you choosing attachment over authenticity. So you, the two, the combination of trying to get your parents' love and not not knowing really what what you were all about because your parents couldn't reflect that back to you, is such an interesting. Um, you know, from what I've learned, such an interesting thing to, to just reflect back to you, just to, to share with you. 
it's such an incredible insight. And I always get a little bit emotional about it because it's, it, it, I consider myself a smart person and, and intellectual and, and intelligent. And, and all those years I was like, what, why, why am I like this? Why I don't get it. And it really did lead to this spiral of just depression and uh, unhappiness and never, never being authentic, always trying to be what you think the other person wants you to be. Even in some of the most simple relationships, just someone you've met on the street and have talked to for five minutes, you're like, why did I say that? Well, they don't know me, they don't care, but yet you're still seeking out other people's approval. So it really, and, you, and, and I don't know the exact, you probably know better than I do, but it's those young years, it's those early years that are so formative for us. And, and when we don't clear all that out, it just is going to haunt us forever, you know, and, and it did haunt me too, obviously for quite some time. Yeah. And it's not a clearing out. It's a child needs to be seen. That's, that's our job as a parent is to see our child and to say, look at you, look at you so that they can know that when they go out into the world, that their instincts and their impulses are, are on point that they can trust their own selves. But if your parents are too busy, um, and my parents were distracted with their divorce, with their, um, with their, with their trauma. And so I, I was neglected as well. And, you know, we're just, we're middle-class people growing up. Their kids, you know, they have physical neglect as well as emotional neglect where they're, they're not getting fed. They're not getting to the doctor, mm-hmm. but this neglect, I mean, Romanian, just to give you an example, Romanian orphans their brain, they, they scanned their brain and it, it shrunk by a third because of the neglect that they went through. And I bet you our brains shrunk as well because we weren't getting the, the mirroring, the mirroring that a child needs. The same thing with, with everybody being seen is, is the key to our, to our own development. Yeah. You know, I don't want, I don't want to jump too forward, but I I just remember being in prison and, and, uh, and never having any, like, never hugging anybody, you know, and just that, and just, and I remember reading a study that said something along the lines of you need five to 10 hugs a day just to maintain emotional, emotional health. And it was just like this, I just remember thinking how sad that was for like two years, like never like really having a warm person to chat with or, or even like have a simple hug, you know, and, and, and it just that, that conversation you were just saying kind of led me to that point a little bit. Well, and I go into prison and my instinct actually wrote to a, a person in prison today. And I said, I, I want to give you a hug. We're not allowed as volunteers to give hugs and, you know, emotional health. What a concept in prison, right? You would think it would be paramount to, to these facilities and it's, you know, hopefully, hopefully you're bringing that message to them, uh, but, but it's, it's not there. It's not there right now. Not there yet. Well, I'm really glad you said five to 10 hugs. Cause you know, I need five to 10 hugs with, with, I need to give my kid five to 10 hugs a day. Right. And my husband. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is for everybody listening. Yeah. Let's not be greedy on our hugs. We can't be stingy on the hugs. Yeah. No, nope. give them out freely. They're, they're free. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mark. You know, you learn something every day. You never know where you're going to learn it. It's just so, and it's, it's just more enrichment. I feel, I feel richer already talking with you. Oh, that's great. So, you know, kind of getting, going back again now is, so growing up with this lack of authenticity, lack of really being able to be myself. And then what ultimately happened probably as I got into my twenties and thirties and early forties was this wall built up around me of this lack of trust. You know, so, so I wasn't, I, I felt like I had a lot of friends. I had family. I had what I looked like. Okay. I, I have all these people in my life yet. I really had nobody because I didn't trust in myself to trust them. So there was this deep lack of trust. And when my life really started to, to, to go South, I had really felt so alone and, and not that I could chat with anybody about anything that was going on and open up about the, the anger and the depression and, and all the negative emotions that I was feeling, you know, and, and then that all just kind of kept manifesting into putting myself on this emotional Island 
where everything looked just like my family growing up, everything looked great on the outside, but on the inside, there was a firestorm going off and, and not knowing how to handle it at all was just really difficult, really difficult time for me. Well, and you bring up the word trust and um, it sounds like what you did, your crime of $700,000, is that what yeah. happened? Yeah. So you, you, you embezzled that for yourself or? I was, so I was managing a hedge fund um, and I used kind of in and out, like back and forth. I would take some and I'd put it back and I'd take some and put it back. And eventually it got to that point where it was just too much to put, to take out, to put back. So it was about 700,000. At that point, I was already going through my divorce. Um, I was single and having a good time as sometimes you do, especially when you're, when you leave a marriage with all this emotional damage and you don't see it again, because you're not just being inauthentic to other people, maybe the worst crime of all is being inauthentic to yourself, right? So, so lying to yourself and telling you everything is great. Oh my goodness. Thank goodness. I finally got out of this marriage and, and I'm going to go out and have a good time. And I've had a good time, what looked like a good time, but it wasn't. And, uh, and I wasn't taking care of my business and bills still had to come in and get paid. So I did what I shouldn't have done. So I took some money from the fund, yes. And so to me, that's what I call, what I tell the guys, that's a shenanigan. Um, but the shenanigan to me is a betrayal of the self. Ultimately, it's the betrayal of the self. Um, it's something you know you shouldn't do and you do it anyway, right? Yes, and it's, it does go back to that concept of, oh, I can put it back. I know how to make money. I've made money my whole life. Um, and of course, it is this love of this money, this always constantly, always chasing all of this, uh, all of this outside of yourself, right? We're chasing these material items. We're chasing uh, fame and fortune that has really nothing to do with, with ourselves feeling good, but we think it's going to replace all those empty feelings that we have. So, you know, you're, you're, you are shenanigan, you are, you are betraying yourself and, and you constantly are just in this huge roller coaster of emotions, you know, and as a Wall Street person, as a trader, you're just like emotions are what you deal with. Like you just learn to live with the ups and downs of huge swings every day. Um, so you just think you're used to it and that you'll put it all back and no one will be the wiser and, and, and everything will just be fine. But at some point you do have to pay the piper and, and, and everything does kind of come tumbling down very quickly. And, you know, they, they say that these acts, these things we do to ourselves, because I, I have, I'm have guilty of shenanigans too, believe me. And I, um, during one of my jobs as a post supervisor, I sent out something I knew that wasn't perfect. And when you're a post supervisor, it's gotta be perfect. And, um, I knew it was imperfect, but I just, you know, I think we betray ourselves sometimes so we can stop what we're doing because what we've done, taking the job as a hedge fund person might've been a betrayal from that point. I'm wondering if, if even being a hedge fund manager was a betrayal to yourself. I think so. I could have, I could have continued to stay in a, in a pretty comfortable position. Um, I was, I was in sales at UBS uh, Union Bank of Switzerland. And, and uh, you know, I could have just lived a very comfortable, easy life, but I think there was this kind of desire to blow it all up. <laughs> the subconscious desire that said, you know, you're not, you're not worthy of, of, of happiness. You're not worthy of, of the things you have in your life. And, and, you know, again, going back to that childhood trauma, you know, if you were worthy, your parents would have been there for you. If you were worthy, you know, X, Y, and Z would have happened. Um, so I do think there is that self-sabotage mode that we go into when we just don't feel that we're worthy of, of, what, of what we see in front of us. We, we tend to blow, want to blow it up. Absolutely. That's it. And I blew, just like I did, I blew it up, but it's also, I mean, it's also a cry for attention. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if no one's going to see me, I'm just going to screw it all up. Right. You're, you're, yes, you're spot on. Again, it's just like it's the child who who will take the negative attention. At least, at least if you spank me, you you're at least you're paying attention to me. You're not neglecting me. You have to take at least five seconds to to notice me, right? And uh, and I think that's a huge part of it. Yes, I'll take any attention I can get. Exactly, and um, you know, one of the things we're we're working on is teaching 
people to put their trauma glasses on. So you see someone is manipulative, you put your trauma glasses on and it's just, they're trying to figure out how to get their needs met in a way that they, that they've met them before, or they're lazy. Well, they're, they're immobilized. They're not lazy. They can't figure out how to do anything. So we put our trauma glasses on for you and, you know, someone who just, you know, shot himself in the foot. He's really just asking mom and dad to appreciate him. I mean, and I think that's a fundamental need. That's a fundamental need for all of us. And that's why we have Donald Trump doing his shenanigans and, you know, people storming the Capitol and people being woke because they're not, no one is getting the fundamental need of just having a mother saying, you're amazing. And I love that. It's so true. I mean, I think, you know, not to get political, but I think we focus so much on the things that we can't control, especially in politics, you know, like, like I could ask people obviously who the Senate minority leader and, and majority leader, but, but do you even know who's on your city council? You know, that's where you have, that's, it's those grassroots, that's where you have power, you know, stop focusing on, on people who are thousands of miles away from you, start focusing on the people who are in your own town, who really, who really can wield some power. And that should be how we live our lives when it comes to charitable organizations and helping out is, is at the, I think it says think locally and, or think globally, act locally, right? That's right. such a beautiful saying, and we need to really be doing that. And it's empowering to know that you can make a difference. And that you can make a choice. And that's that's such a big message, such a big message. But the locally goes even further because changing the world starts with you, right? Changing the world starts with how am I being violent to myself? How am I, what are the shenanigans I'm I'm doing today? Or if there are any, what am I not, um, what am I not honoring in myself? Because by taking that hedge fund job, now to me, people who work in Wall Street you know, they were little boys and little girls and they never woke up and said, daddy, I want to be a hedge fund manager. Or maybe they did, but think about that. But I think on some level, they lost who they were on the way, searching for something that would give them the simple reflection that we all need. And but by doing that, by, by betraying themselves in the choice of picking hedge fund manager, and this is just my opinion, and maybe it's not true for you, but to me, hedge funds and people who are on Wall Street, they're not creating anything. They're, they're actually kind of manipulating things and moving things around and trying to get the best out of things for their gain, for their client's gain. And by doing that, they don't understand the repercussions down the line, there are other people that are suffering from these decisions they're making. There's there's arbitrage and all that. So in a sense, there's like a blind destruction that's happening in hedge funds, um, in banking, in because it's not it's not taking the whole picture into, into consideration, it's taking the bottom line into consideration. And so in a sense, it's it's violence to the earth, it's violence to the community that they're not aware of. I mean, no, we're not even thinking about it, but that's why one of the things I say is we're responsible for everything. Is if I'm taking a job, what is my job and what are the repercussions of my job? When I was working in the film industry, we were working with chemicals way back when. So we were creating chemicals. What were we doing with those chemicals? I don't know, but if I was fully responsible, I would be concerned down to that level. Or what is the content? Are we creating violence? Is this activating other people's? And I'm sorry, this is your podcast, but um, um, it's okay. We can banter about this. Just the violence that we put in that we don't even know about because we've stopped taking the whole picture in. And I think that's that's what I think you forgot as as you were chasing the gold ring. Well, I, I think I think one of the the things that that's kind of coming into my mind with, when listening to you says like it's amazing what we can get used to as people, you know, like, like I got used to being in this, in this marriage that was not healthy for me. I got used to living, you know, in a career that I didn't love. Um, and look, wall street is not an altruistic place. Um, and it, it was much better 40 years ago, but, um, and it's, it's definitely gone down. There are some pieces to it that help this help society, but for the most part, it, it's, 
it's a small sliver compared to perhaps what, what they're taking out of society. And, and by the way, what they take out of individual because individuals like myself, because you do sort of get taught to, to step over the line and then come back real fast and step over the line again and come back real fast. So, you know, you do chip away at someone's moral character over time. Um, uh, but so anyway, like, but I, but I just think it's like, like what I was saying, it's so amazing what we get used to and, and, you know, and it could be, it's, it's like a Stockholm syndrome where you fall in love with your captor, you know, because you just get used to that and, and, and you would rather have that than not have anything at all. So it's, it's this hopeless desperation. Yes. But you're taking that, you're taking that step. Like it's your responsibility to say, wait a second, wait a second. And that's it. It's, you know, and I'm, I'm not casting blame on you. I'm saying, but that's what got you there. You got, you got ignored, you got um, sure. numbed out to the fact that you were stepping over the line all the time. Well, that's really my third principle is taking responsibility. And to, to touch on that point, one of the things that I really like, I mean, I dug deep into prison, you know, like one of the, I, when I, when I surrendered in September of 17, I was, there was a part of me that had this relief because I was thinking, okay, they know what to do. I haven't been able to fix myself all these years. They know what to do. And I got there and within about a week, I realized that they don't know anything. <laughs> they have no idea what to do. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, Mark, this is on your own again. Here you are, like you're on your own. But for me, the benefit was at least actually being out of society, not having my cell phone, not having to have all the responsibilities gave me some extra time to do what I wasn't really able to do on the outside. But, but that was really like this big freak out moment for me. Like, oh my goodness, like, what am I going to do? And I just really dug in, I dug in deep and I just didn't know where to begin. And so I began with one thing that, that had always kind of resonated and I was never great at it because I just, again, don't think my self-worth was there, but I just started with gratitude. And because I remember reading books by like Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and a lot of the people like that and some, and religious, a lot of religions talk about gratitude. I didn't know where to start. So I just started taking these gratitude walks every day and I would walk for an hour and I would just say anything that popped into my head, I'm grateful for trees and I'm grateful for the blood that flows through my body, whatever I could say. And at first I was really faking it. I was just kind of BSing my way along on these walks. But after a couple of months, something really magical happened. And I, and I was actually, I became grateful, like for everything. Like it was just like, you know, the neuroplasticity in our brain, the more we, the more we discuss, the more we tell ourselves something, the more we're going to believe in, the more we're going to become it. And I really felt like that primed my mind for a lot of change. Um, and I just was digging deep into books and I was reading and I was really doing the work. I was meditating and I was going back to my childhood and, and I was taking like one event and bringing it through years and years up and seeing like, why did that event affect me? And it was some really deep, hard work, very hard work, but it was very worthwhile too. I mean, that's the thing about prison. It's, it's the one thing I've learned about watching the guys I've met who are some, who are light years ahead of many of us. If, if you get into conversations with them, mm-hmm. you have the time, you have the time to just few distractions. I mean, and it sounds like, you know, you were in a uh, no level prison. I was in a camp. Yeah. I was in a, you prison were in a camp. camp. Yeah. So there's, there's no, there was no gate there, right? There was no gate. No. And we weren't in jail cells. We were in a dormitory style sleeping facility. Um, and, and there was really minimal physical danger. It was really the emotional toll. Um, and, and, and you're really also living in a place where what's to me a very sad part of it is there was a very small percentage of people who really wanted to fix themselves. They didn't, most people didn't try. And since the system's not forcing you to try, they figured I'll just go out my day playing gin and chess and watching TV and I'll spend my time however I spend my time. Um, there was that s- small percentage of people and we all ended up hanging out together because you know birds of a feather flock together, right? So all the people who really wanted to dig in and do that work, we, we had these little groups together and it was very, very helpful. So you get into prison. When is the day you're like, well, you actually knew you had to fix yourself when you walked in, right? You thought I was very motivated. Very, I mean, 
I, my relationship with my children was sinking already. And I knew that I needed to get them back in my life. And that the only way to do that was to come out a much better person. Um, but then of course it was for myself too. I had been searching most of my adult life as I, as I alluded to back before, I, I didn't know how my life had become such a mess and, and I needed to figure that out. I needed to leave there with at least that one answer. I didn't know how I was going to get it. I had no idea, no blueprint. I trusted in the universe that I would figure it out. And, and thank goodness I did. And how did you figure it out? What were your steps? What did you do? What did you know, give us some guidance because well, we all yeah. need this. It, it began with gratitude. I mean, I told you that story and that was it. That, you know, because, because when you start to take on the attitude of gratitude, you do change the way you see things, right? And as Wayne Dyer says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So I started going from this anger and from this upset and from blaming others and all these other things to seeing the, as seeing everything as beautiful and a gift and just being grateful for it. And it took time. I mean, it takes effort. Anyone who says that you can do six minute abs, it's not six minute abs. It's like, you got to watch your diet and you got to go to the gym and you got to do everything you got to do. It's the same thing. You have to put in the time, but it's so worthwhile. It is so worth it because now I'm on the other side of it. And I just live every day with this just happiness. And I am just truly grateful for everything. And then the serendipity of what happens when you start to become changing your mind. Like, so I read a book, I read a book by Nathaniel Brandon, the six pillars of self-esteem. And uh, I think it was written in the nineties. Uh, very good book, thick though, like a workbook, like a real book that you have to dig through. And, and he gave you exercise at the end of each chapter, but it started getting me to understand self-worth and self-image and self-esteem. And it was like resonating with me, like, okay, I kind of get that. I wasn't authentic. And I, I used to bend the truth or all out lie or whatever it was. And, and so I finished that book. And then I was talking to someone at the camp, another person who was doing some hard work on himself. And, and then he's like, you know, you might like this book too. And it was a book called Real Power by a man named Dr. David Lieberman. And boom, I read like the first five pages and it just hit me. Like, you know how sometimes something, you can hear the same message, but from two separate messengers. And for some reason, that second messenger might hit it. And everything just changed for me, just like that. And I understood self-esteem and I understood ego and like all the dominoes started falling in the right direction for the first time in my life. You know, when you're searching for that answer and you finally get it, it is just a feeling of so much heaviness coming off of you. And I really felt it like within an instant, you know, uh, really quickly. So it was self-esteem. It was self, my self-image was low. I didn't, I, I suffered with this unhealthy self-image because going back to people pleasing, going back to feeling emotional neglect growing up. Yeah, um, but what you're talking about is grace, right? Isn't that a moment of grace? That was, a, that was a big moment of grace, yes. I finally did start to, once my self-esteem was, was rising to a healthy level, I was able to forgive myself on a deeper level. And, and, and again, that was very cathartic for me. Um, and, and so it started with gratitude. It turned into self-esteem. And, and from there, like I said, the third, the third thing that really came to me was responsibility because once I started to understand about how the ego likes to protect us. So the ego will do whatever it can to make us feel good about ourselves, even if it's complete lies. Right. So the, the, the ego is going to say, no, that's Fritzy's fault. That's not your fault, Mark. You didn't do that. That was her fault. Or that's your mother and dad's fault, whatever. But once you start to take on this level of responsibility, what I call extreme responsibility, where you know that you own your power. Nobody can tell me how to feel. Nobody can tell me what to think anymore. I choose and I create what I want. And that is the most liberating of feelings. And you know what happened? It, what happened was I forgave everybody. And even more than that, I came to this conclusion, which is, I just came to this conclusion that my parents did the best they could. They weren't trying. And it, it wasn't even forgiveness. It was what I call absolution. I absolved them from any wrongdoing because they just did the best they could. 
They weren't trying to, to hurt their son. They weren't, they, there was no nefarious plot against me, even though it felt like that for all those years. And I just owned my own power. And now I know that, and this is not, I'm not talking about this in a selfish or, or a way where you don't give out to people, but, but I just know that I can choose the way I react to someone else's comment. You know, and that's such a, and I'm tested almost every day being someone with a criminal record. I've been rejected by so many women for dates. I've been rejected by so many jobs, but yet I choose to look at it as another test and, and something that I just have to overcome and I'm going to keep moving on and I'm going to keep, keep being the best self that I can be. And it's, I love it. <laughs> it's liberating. Yeah. You know, there's, well, there's a few things I want to say. There's, there's a third of the population is justice involved, right? So, I mean, the women who you were dating or you were, you know, who checking, let's say meeting who you're meeting, <laughs> they're really limiting their, their, their possibilities. I'm just letting you know, they're, of course, of course, it's short-sighted on their part. Um, but, you know, we have this stigma about criminality and I would say we're all criminals. We all have, um, we've all done things that are against the law, like even even if it's a penny on your taxes, you're still breaking the law, right? Or even if you're driving home with three drinks mm -hmm. and you know you know it's your blood alcohol level is probably in the range, mm -hmm. we still do it. And so who are we to judge? And, and, and then on the other part, if we're judging that hard, what are we, how are we judging ourselves? Um, but the cool, one of the cool things you just said was about, um, oh God, can't remember it now, but it was about, it was about how you're, how you're perceiving yourself. It was, mm. it was just so yeah. cool. Like, yeah. I mean, look, it's, I, I know who I am now. Like I know I'm a good person and I know I have a great heart and I know I care about people. Like that was, I think this, this um, dichotomy in my brain that I could never reconcile was like, I always felt like I was this good person, but why would a good person do the things I did? Right. So it was like this struggle, internal struggle, like, Mark, you're a good person. But on the other hand, now you're doing something that you need to go to prison for. So but now I know that I am a good person. Like, there's not a question in my mind. Like, it's not it's just who I am. My parents did actually raise me with some good values. I just needed to get past all of the stuff, all of the stuff that was clouding my thinking and all that faulty wiring. Um, and, and I did. And, and, you know, thank goodness I did. Now I'm spreading the message, hopefully. Well, faulty wiring, but also it was faulty wiring. Your parents were checked out, but we also have to think, and I, I love that you use the word absolve them because that's true responsibility. You're taking responsibility for your life from birth to death. But, you know, I, I'm with you on that, but I also have to talk about child abuse or child neglect, which you know, I thought about your parents, they're from a Jewish heritage, right? You're, yes. So Jewish people have been, um, you know, dealt a real raw hand for most, for, for generations. I mean, currently we're, Jew, Jews have a much better, much better life now, but the, the traumas that they experienced and that their parents experienced, just, just World War II and just even being a, a Jewish person in the United States during World War II, they're dealing with they're dealing with a lot of trauma that isn't isn't expressed, isn't talked about. But it, checking out is a trauma response, and not dealing with what what you know is wrong or know is troubling is a trauma response. And I'm not saying that they even knew it on a an, an intellectual level, but they checked out and it's a legacy. It's an intergenerational trauma that you're dealing with as well. Um, I see it in well, my other yeah. Jewish friends and you know, I'm part Jewish. So, but I have, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> you know, so a, a bit of a sad part of the story uh, was my father passed away while I was in prison. Mm. Um, mm. And that was rough. And, and despite, despite some of the things that I learned, you know, we, we did have a good relationship. He had, he and I had the best relationship of, of the three, of the three children. Obviously I worked hard at it going into the same career as him and all that. Um, but, you know, as I'm starting to make these um, uh, revelations, right. And as my self-esteem is rising and, and as I'm feeling better about things and forgiving and, and moving through this, you know, chain of, of, of 
emotional healing, I, I did happen to have this epiphany that my father really struggled to. He had his own demons. And, and to your point, exactly that, you know, when he was back in, when, you know, back in the thirties and forties, uh, you know, they didn't talk about this, even probably the fifties and sixties, they really didn't talk much about it. So, you know, so he, he had his own demons that he dealt with. And that also helped me to move away from this feeling of, of, uh, of, of, of anger and disappointment and, and to really like to this point of love, you know, like I, I felt so much compassion for him, especially as his last days were not, were not great days, you know, uh, mm. and, and I'm happy to say also that a byproduct of my own healing has been this wonderful resurgence with my mother. We have, we have in the last year and change, we have cultivated this most amazing relationship, one I never would have imagined. Um, and I believe it's because I healed myself that she was able to meet some of the requirements that I needed for us to continue to have this relationship. And, and, uh, and I know people struggle out there and I know that there is many, many types of abuses that I never suffered. And going to back to your point is, is you, you take responsibility, but only for your reaction now after the fact you cannot take responsibility for an adult doing something to you. That is, that is not exactly what I'm trying to say. So I want to do make that point clear. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I yeah. didn't mean it like that. Yeah. yeah, no. And I'm glad that you kind of got me thinking that way because, because there are people out there who deal with all, I mean, I started crying. I was watching uh, one of the trauma circles and, and I think a few of the men had all 10 of them. And that was just so heart wrenching to me. And, and actually I felt a level of guilt for having, you know, only two, you know, and still feeling like my life, you know, was a mess up. So I can only imagine what these, what these people have gone through and, um, and it is not their fault. So when I talk about responsibility, the healing part of it becomes when you can look back at your past, however horrific it might be, and you can choose how you want to feel about that when you're, when you're healthier emotionally. So I want to make that point hopefully clear. Yeah. But I want to also let you know, neglect is one of the worst things a parent can do to their child. So, you know, they may have 10, which includes neglect, but it's one of the worst things. Um, because again, your brain is not getting mirrored. It's like being in solitary confinement. And it's, I mean, and you know, the damage that solitary does to to the people. I mean, psychosis, um, you know, all kinds of symptoms. And so we have to think we can never compare our, our pain to other people's pain. And, and then that's one of the thing it's like, um, Brene Brown talks about it is like, my pain isn't, isn't, has a no value because look at that mother just lost her child. It's like, no, your pain is just as relevant as just as important as their pain. And it's wonderful. You have empathy for them as well, but it's okay to have, have pain and have, and live in this life. This is, this is the Buddha's message is that we're here. Suffering is part of what we have to do. It's, mm -hmm. it's our job, I guess, to suffer in a sense. So we can, so we can learn about the nicks and crannies of our being. Yes. We only, we grow through suffering without a doubt. You know, exactly. And, and I've chosen to take that to a physical level too, because I like to run, I like to run distances. So, you know, to me, I love like putting my body on the line because I think that is a spiritual practice as well. And it helps me to flush out some of those uh, negative thoughts that might be popping in. So I'm a firm believer that we grow, we grow from our suffering, but we have to be aware of what our, of what is causing our suffering. And then we have to work to, come up with a solution to that suffering. You know, if, if for me, I held on to a trauma from 40 years ago, right? When I talked about being comfortable in our misery sometimes, right? I'm, I was more comfortable there than talking it through with a therapist. So, so it took me going all the way to prison for me to really be able to come to grips with all of that. So you need to be aware, you need to be willing to reflect on it. And then you really need to change, maybe reframe your own, a thought process to it, you know, and, and look at it as something that horrible that happened, but now it's made you this better, stronger person that you can deal with something 
And, you know, for me, I had this moment in prison where I knew I had to tell the things I learned. If it was to one person or to 10 or a million, I don't know, but I knew I needed to tell it somehow. And that's why I'm so thankful for being able to do that through, through this. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't think you knew you were traumatized. I don't think in no, those I, no, 40 years, you didn't, no, I didn't know. I didn't know I was traumatized till I was 56. <laughs> and I, I mean, it changed my life that, that information. And that's why I'm doing what I do because I just want everyone to know it's like, wait a second. You're not a bad person. You're not crazy. You're not out of your mind. You might be, but that's because you're traumatized. Right. It, and it's, we have to tell it. We have to tell it because there's so many people out there uh, that are suffering in silence, right? They're suffering. They don't know where to turn. Just like me, I had nobody to talk to. I had no, and I had no idea to talk about what, you know, I've gone to therapy, but it never worked because they never got me there. They never, they wanted to talk about things that I didn't even know to talk about. So I think when the layperson tells their story of, of, you know, the hero's journey, right? Where we, where we, where we fall from grace and then we come back better than ever. That is, that is the most healing thing I think we can do. Well, when I'm in prison, I always ask the guys, um, how many people would be alive if you weren't in prison? How many people would be dead if you weren't in prison? And most of them raise their hands. And so to me, you know, prison is a big timeout. It's a place where I mean, and, and a lot of people don't do the work and they don't want to do the work, but it's a place where you can really discover yourself. And it's a time you don't really have time on the outside to do it. Um, we have we have to adjust sentencing. And I'm, I'm no expert on sentencing um, other than the people that I met who had longer sentences than me or shorter sentences than me. I happen to feel I was sentenced to 33 months um, in the federal system. You serve 85 percent of that. So I served two years in the camp and then four years on home confinement. For me personally, that was like the right amount of time because it, it takes a few months to get acclimated to where you are. And then it takes some time to really do the work. I think had I gotten seven or eight years, I probably would not have even thought about doing the work for at least four or five years. And who knows by then, maybe by then I'm already in trouble and I'm in a medium and, you know, like who knows? So we have to figure out the right sentence for people. Um, and it's, oh, it's, it's, if you're too far away from the door, it's hard to know you really, what are you going to do the work for? You know, if you're too close, if you come in with a three month sentence, then, you know, it's, you're in and out. You don't even realize it. You know, it's, but like you said, half those guys, they have longer and shorter sentences and they're just playing cards, right? Yeah. And playing chess. So they're not even working on themselves. Oh, it's so, so sad. Well, so I don't know if it's about sentencing. I, I agree sentencing reform is important, but I, I think it's also about having, having awareness, having programs that first of all, tell you about trauma, but also tell you about how great you are and how great you can be um, and how great thou art. You know, there's that song, how great thou art. And that's how I feel about everybody in the world. Um, I wrote this to the guy in prison today, just how great thou art. Um, and, and to let them know this so that they have a chance to discover this. This is the thing. It's again, it's about mirroring. And if what people see what you, what you, what you see back, you know, I see Mark, he's a beautiful man. He's, you know, I, the one thing I see is that you're dating these girls that want a rich a rich hedge fund guy. And that's not, that's not you anymore. Yeah. So I, I think you have to, I feel, I, by the way, going back to that one topic, it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful filter because I know that if you're compassionate or not right off the bat, you know, your profile might say, Oh, I'm spiritual. I do yoga and I'm very compassionate. And then as soon as I tell you, you, you bolt away. So it's a very good filter for me. I don't have to waste too much time on these women. <laughs> it's like a filter. <laughs> nice i like it very good very good yeah i mean that's the thing um what what it's so great i'm hearing this and this is me mirroring back what i just heard in a different way is i hear that you're so clear about who you are it doesn't matter anymore so you what you what you're really looking for is a true companion and a true a true partner and that's not who you married from what i can tell is uh, she was going for the she was going for the hedge fund guy, the, 
you know, you know look, I'm, I'm not going to disparage her. It's no, no, me, no. I know it, it was a, it was a relationship, you know, both is 50, 50, but uh, right. yes, of course. I mean, we all grow up thinking we're going to have X, Y, and Z and sometimes it gets taken away from you. So it's, but also that's a, that's a Jewish thing. You know, he's a nice Jewish boy. He's got a good job. He's good, you know, sure. but yeah, that's all from the trauma. That's a trauma thing. Cause you know, he should be a doctor. He should be a lawyer, right? All those things. Sure. That's a trauma thing because you, they, security is so important and money is so important in a, in a traumatized, um, a trauma, traumatized society, but also a traumatized generation, generations. You know, I've met some, I've met some, I've met some really great people also. I don't want to just disparage the, some people, but like I've met some amazing people and I, I'm always impressed for the person who does go the road less traveled and, and, and sort of bucks away from that trauma that, that, you know, that person who says, yes, you know, your grandparents, you have to marry a Jewish woman and you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, whatever. And they buck it, you know, and they, and they go do their own thing and they strike out on their own. I've always had this just amazing feeling ever, every time I was around somebody like that, um, and following their passion and pursuing what they feel is their purpose. And, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you're a kid, you're young, you know, and, and we make these huge decisions when we're 18 and 19, and what are we going to do? What school are we going to go to? What are we going to study? And all these things. And we're so ill-equipped for that. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I, that was some of my anger towards my parents is how come you didn't direct me better or something like that. But, but again, it's, it's, it's gotten me to this point. And that is what is just, you know, I do wake up every day. I mean, the first thing I get up, I say a prayer of thanks to God. And, and then I go over some things that, I, that I'm thankful for, people and places and events that are there. And it's just like, just puts you into this amazing state right away. And I just carry it on throughout the day. And when I put my head on the pillow at night, I sleep so well. And I know that I've done so much hard work and I've cried and I've been depressed and I've, I've, I've been as low as I can. And, and now I'm in this really nice, steady state. And I just wish I could bottle it and give it to people. It's just, it's the best place to live. It really is. Well, you know, um, a couple of things just occurred to me. You were saying, I wish I could have been that guy that, that didn't follow, follow the, 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 the program, the menu of being Jewish, hmm. but you kind of did. You, you kind of said, you know what, I'm going to break the law so I can, I can, sure. I can get out of this rut. We're going to blow it up. Like we said earlier, right. I'm going to blow it up. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, I think prison is, your, is, has been your rebirth. hundred percent, hundred percent. And these conversations that you and I are having right now, I mean, this is what people need. They need to talk. They need to just talk it out and, and there is a way to get to, to the places that, that we live in, in, in our minds. I mean, emotionally, not physically. Um, talk is such a great thing. And, and, you know, what you're, the work that we're doing is, it's imperative. It's really imperative. Well, you know, what is it? Community brings immunity, right? Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I don't know who said it, but when I heard it, I was like, hello, that's fantastic. Because that's well-being community being heard being seen again it's about being seen and that's well, why and I, yeah i mean you know i said before like i felt so lonely in my spiral i felt so lonely and now because i've broke down that wall of that wall that wouldn't let me trust right now i let everybody in and now i can trust everyone and everyone feels like a close friend to me in the in the greatest of ways and i feel like you know i i can be so authentic and you know what? I actually, we were talking about a little bit. I did meet a woman recently and I told her the story. She goes, okay, so you made a mistake. No big deal. You know? So it's like, you just kept, but I was so, and she was refreshed because I was still willing to be open about it. And then she actually opened up to me about a few things. So it was like, you know, nothing going to prison, but she had some things that I think she felt in a safe, comfortable place to talk about it. So I find that when I sort of purge myself to people that breaks down their walls. And then they can kind of come back to me with, with things that they maybe wouldn't open up to somebody about so quickly. Yes, because you're being authentic and you're allowing other people to be authentic and you're, you're showing them what authenticity looks like. And so they can be authentic. They're in a safe place to be authentic. That's, that's attachment and authenticity, right? You can, you can bond 
That's why circles are so important because you can be authentic and that's, you're reclaiming yourself. That's like, um, you know, it's another miracle, an, another miracle, another prison miracle. It's amazing. Amazing. So um, I know we, we kind of started the conversation, ask, I wanted it like a play by play and we got like hints of what happened, but um, I want to move into your coaching and what, what you're doing with your coaching and maybe some tips to the listeners of, um, I know you said being responsible, which I agree. I, I'm hundred percent responsible for everything if I can be, mm. um, but what are some other tips and, and what do you do with your coach with in your coaching? Sure. So my coaching is a combination of personal and business. Um, so I try to help people consult with them to get them to first figure out maybe why they're not having the success that they want. Um, and if they are having the success they want, are they having the life balance that they really need? You know, for me growing up, it was about making money and charity was simply writing a check which is great. And every charities need money for sure. But it's also like, you know, actually putting yourself out there for an hour or two a week is also a really nice thing to do. Right. So I try to get people to explore some work-life balance. And what most people find when we dig deep into sort of their daily routine is that they're wasting a lot of time because they don't have a system a systematic way to, to handle their business. So what's taking them really 10 hours in time really could be done in five, you know, five and six hours, which gives them a lot more time to maybe pursue a passion, be with their family a little bit more, be more present-minded. You know, one of the things that was, I think the worst part of when I was really hitting the skids was I was never present focused. You know, when I was with my kids, I was thinking about work. And when I was with at work, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I need to be with my kids. It was, there was never, I was never like right here where I'm with you. Like I was never in that moment. So I really try to help people figure out the systems so they can find that work-life balance. And a lot of it does come like when we hit, when we hit roadblocks in our earnings or in our happiness in our marriage, it's because we're struggling often with self-image and self-worth. So we try to dig deep into that too, in terms of, okay, what's, you know, where can you start to raise your self-worth? And a lot of times it's a lot, it's really simple sometimes. Like if you're already fairly healthy self-esteem wise, sometimes it's just having a difficult conversation with somebody. Maybe it's having a difficult conversation with your manager. You know, I'm not being, I'm not being tested enough at work. I need a little bit more responsibility. Or maybe it's having a conversation with your significant other you know, that you're maybe not feeling exactly uh, a, a priority in their life. And sometimes those simple conversations and just helping sort of role-playing how, how those conversations can go become really cathartic. And, and, you know, within a few months, people start to, their lives really start to, to pick up. So I'm a big person about systems. I believe that goals are wonderful and that you have to have goals so you know where you're going. But ultimately, it's the systems that you have in place that get you there. And habits, I'm a big, so habits and systems kind of go together. So my life to others might look very monotonous, but to me, it's wonderful because I don't have to make so many decisions in the day. Like I know that at when the, when the alarm goes off, often I get up before the alarm, but when it goes off, I know exactly how I'm going to start my day, you know, and I do that every day and it keeps me very grounded and it keeps me uh, feeling great. So you'd be shocked at like how much of that like that's like 80% of the work I do is just getting people to get there. And then it's just making some fine, fine tunes and, and some tweaks to get, uh, to get them the rest of the way. But uh, so, and I love doing it. I really love helping and it's just been a great journey for me. Isn't that amazing? You know, from like destroying the earth to now like helping people be their best selves and, and in the process, watching yourself be your best self. It is, it is. And, and it, you know, it self-esteem, self-image, it's not, it, it's not something where, I mean, I think again, for me, I fooled myself with thinking I just needed this one big event to happen. Having a good self-image is doing the little steps every day. You know what, if you want to lose weight, it's not having the chocolate cake, you know, or it's only having it once a month as opposed to having it every night. You know, it's the small little steps that we do every day. And that's what helps you really build your self-confidence because you see little wins 
not about these gigantic, huge boulders that you have to push uphill every day. It's little wins all day long. It's true. It's true. It is little wins. I mean, it's nice to get the big wins too sometimes, but. Well, the big one, it's that, you know, when you get a lot of little wins, the big wins happen, right? So it's, it's, but the big wins are what, maybe a couple times a year, if that, if even that. So if you're always waiting for the big wins, your life is passing you by. Why, you know, the journey, like for someone like me, obviously, like I always was focused on the end goal, end goal, end goal. Now it's like every day I, I'm in that present moment and I'm focusing on the journey part of it. And I, I know where I would like to go. I know where I want to get to, but I'm just so soaking up every moment of the journey too. Why can't I have it all? You know? It's so nice. It's, it's, you know, it sounds so, so cliche, just, you know, just enjoy every moment, but it's true, right? We choose, we choose what to do in each moment. Every moment is a test for us to make a choice. And if someone cuts you off when you're driving, you have a choice. You can give them the finger or you could say, okay, they might be having a bad day and I'll, and I'll let it go. Right. Very simple. I used to give them the finger. Now, <laughs> Most people did. Yeah. Now, now it's getting better. Now I'm like, oh, what's going on with him? Exactly. As we, as we healed ourselves, right. Dot, dot, dot. Gosh, it's, it's, you know, it's the same conversations always the same text, the same books say the same thing, but it's always refreshing to hear it from another person, isn't it? Yeah. And as I said, some, you know, something resonates with everybody in some way, you know, we put out this energy to each other and sometimes we repel some of that energy and sometimes we really magnetize ourselves with it. So, and we don't always know exactly why, but, but the more people who are spreading the good word uh, of what we're talking about is that gives us more opportunities to, uh, to heal, to heal us out, to heal ourselves and to heal our friends and to heal the world along with it. Well, I think we should end here, Mark. It's the perfect ending. Um, thank you so much for your, um, your wisdom and your um, perspective. Um, oh, we got to talk about your book. Tell, oh, tell us about yes. your book. All right. So uh, I tried to write a book a million different times and I failed, but I finally found like a, this really amazing course online. And, uh, and I've been writing this book. So I just got the ma first manuscript through um, and it's got a publishing house that's going to help publish it. And it's going to be out in uh, April or May of 22. The book is titled Within, How I Found My Authentic and Happy Self in Federal Prison. And the message is a lot of what we discussed. And, and the overarching theme here is the reason why I chose that title of within is that we have everything within ourselves to live the life we want. We have the, the, the confidence and the self-esteem. It's all, it's all right there. Everyone is smart enough. Everyone has enough knowledge and intelligence. You just have to let it shine. And you just have to be willing to know that it's there. And step by step, you build into it and it is a beautiful view from up here. <laughs> so that'll be out in, in spring. And I'm really excited. It's been a great journey writing that as well. It's a lot of ups and downs, you know, a lot of, a lot of sitting in the seats and just typing and sometimes typing gobbledygook, but just to have the physical action of writing is, is incredible. And getting the words out on papers, it's, it's both exhilarating and exhausting at the same time. <laughs> so four years out of prison, I mean, no, two years out of prison, two years out, yeah. but four years since you walked into prison mm -hmm. and you already have a book, like th that's pretty cool, right? It's awesome. Yeah. How it's, many it's, people want to write a book? Uh, I tried, I told you I tried and, and through a very, uh, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I believe everything's preordained, right? I, I met somebody on LinkedIn who showed me that this is how they figured out how to write it through this course. And they introduced me to it. And, and it's been just a, such a blessing to write it. So yeah, looking back, it's it's you could never you could never put the dots together. It's it's all by some beautiful life force, some beautiful power, whatever you want to call it, whether it's God or the universe or something else. It's that's everyone's personal decision, but I know it's out there, and I know you have to have faith and trust in it. It's a divine plan. I mean, prison was a divine plan for you. Hundred percent. I mean, look at you. You're I know. you're sparkling. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And we need sparkling. We need sparkling. That's what changes the world. Well, let's do it. Let's do it all together. It's much more fun together than alone, right? That's right. That's right.
That's why you're on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Great to learn about your journey from hedge fund manager to incarcerated man to life coach and extraordinary being. Um, Thank you for the wisdom that you shared and for all the tips, gratitude, responsibility, and trust that you shared with us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and rate this podcast. And please go to our website at CompassionPrisonProject.org. Learn about what we're doing. And if you're inspired, please donate. Thank you again for listening. And I'll see you next time.